What up, though? Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA podcast, where we talk about everything combat sports, but mainly MMA. If you want to hear a couple regular MMA fans talk about MMA history, notable fighters, up and coming fighters, and everything in between, then this is the podcast for you. Now, I should warn you, we're not professionals, but we are big fans of combat sports. If that sits well with you, sit back, grab a beverage, relax, and let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA podcast. I am your host, DC. And of course, I got my co-host here with me, Locke. Hey, what's going on, y'all? So, today's podcast, we are doing another Gloves and Roses. And going to switch things up a little bit. I'm going to run down some accolades for this person. And then... um, I love for people in their minds to guess who we're talking about before we go ahead and give it up. And I will say this about this person. This is a person that we probably, there could have been a case for us putting this person on fallen goat versus gloves and roses. And who's to say we may do it in the future. Who knows? Just, just run it back. (laughs) But for today, we have them on Gloves and Roses. So what I want to run down first is I want to run down the record and, you know, just the history of this individual just to, you know, help people understand how much of a badass this person was. So accolades, if you will. Absolutely. Accolades. I I, I will say this real quick before you run into the accolades. I will say this is probably the most stacked list of accolades to not be in the goat fallen goat series. I would, I would definitely say that a hundred percent. So first of all, I'm going to run down the record. 35 wins, 14 losses, 35 out of those 35 wins, 27 by KO one by submission. This person was a pride champion, pride middleweight champion. They went on an 18-fight unbeaten streak in Pride. It actually went over 20 fights, if I'm not mistaken. But during that, there was a draw to no contest. Once they got to the UFC, they had five fight of the night bonuses, two knockout of the night bonuses. In Pride, as I mentioned, they were the middleweight champion, the 2003 middleweight Grand Prix champion, 2005 middleweight Grand Prix semifinalist, 2006 openweight uh, Grand Prix finalist. First fighter in Pride history to win both the Pride Championship, so the regular title, and the Pride Grand Prix. And for those that we've talked about this a little bit, how some of these things work in Japan, but if you want to see a modern day example of that, you can go watch one, or we've talked about before how when DJ first got to one, he won the Grand Prix title, and then of course he slowly went on to win the main title. Okay, back to this individual. Most wins in Pride history at 26, longest undefeated streak, which once again went across 20 fights. Most knockouts in Pride history, tied Mirko Crow Cup for the most finishes in Pride history, which is 16. Most successful title defenses in Pride history, 
most successful and I'm sorry, pride middleweight history, most successful defenses in pride history. Also, uh, most consecutive successful title defenses in pride history and most successful title defenses in pride middleweight history. Okay. Also sports illustrated 2004 knockout of the decade. This was over Quentin rampage Jackson. MMA fighting 2004 light heavyweight of the year. Sure dog 2004 fighter of the year. MMA fighting 2013 best fight of the year against Brian Stan. Uh, World MMA Awards fighter of the year 2008. 2008 knockout of the year versus Keith Jardine. And then he also got a Lifetime Achievement Award. And there's an award out there that's not really an award. Uh, um, Sure Dog, or was it MMA Fighting? One of them, some years back, had did, a, like, uh, I think it was Sure Dog, had did a thing where they was doing this hypothetical, I'm sorry, MMA Hall of Fame. Because as far as I know, there's no actual just MMA Hall of Fame. And, of course, this individual was on that. Okay? Now, notable fights. These are the fighters that they have faced. Mike Van Arsdale. Everybody. Vitor Belfort. Tito Ortiz. Guy Mesker. Gilbert Ivell. Dan Henderson. Sakuraba. Sakuraba four times. Dan Henderson twice. Crow Cup twice. Go Yoshida twice. Rampage Jackson four times. Mark Hunt. Ricardo Arona twice. Chuck Liddell, Keith Jardine, Rich Franklin twice, Michael Bisbing, Chris Lieben, Kung Lee, Brian Stan, and Chael Sonnen. So, that's a lot of stuff. I need a drink after that one. <laughs> and I actually didn't. There was still a few things out there that I didn't even go into. You know, I tried not to make these things too long, but... For those that are trying to guess and have not guessed it yet, we are talking about no other than Vanderlei, the axe murderer, Silva. So, Locke, with all of that said, I want to pass it over to you first and get your thoughts. Well, the first thing that I have to do is I have to add one of the most impressive but least known accolades that has to go on his resume. He's also been warded guest host Dan the Duke, dopest nickname in MMA history award. So he's also the sole holder of that. Definitely the best nickname. Definitely. that. The funny part is that was going to be one of my questions. Is it the best nickname? Oh, it that's has right. to be. Well, so Dan, who's been on the, this show before, he's adamant, the greatest of all time. I've always been partial to the Korean zombie, but I think that a lot of that might be more nickname with the style versus just nickname on his own. So um, it's hard to argue that one, but I just wanted to make sure that Vanderlei didn't get robbed of that very crucial accolade. You're muted. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm going to tell you what's weird. I unmuted and I was trying to type something. And the button that I hit muted me back. You remuted. <laughs> nice but, tech guy. Uh, exactly. You know, I'm the best of the best out here. <laughs> but um, 
That actually brings me into my first question. I was highly shocked in doing my research that he is not in the UFC Hall of Fame. And I wanted to see if you had looked at that and noticed it. And what were your thoughts on why the hell is he not in the UFC Hall of Fame? Well, I didn't know that, but I think I had kind of a similar revelation looking into it. And and I think for the sake of purity, and I know this isn't going to be popular to say, I think with it being the UFC Hall of Fame and not the MMA Hall of Fame, that that might be the right call because um, a lot of his work in the UFC, while being some great fights and some uh, some great cheeries on the top of a great career, I don't know that he did his best work in the UFC. See, I thought about that, right? I thought about that same thing. And I said, you know what? Locke is going to say this. <laughs> and this will be <laughs> this will be my rebuttal. Sakuraba Sakuraba is in the UFC Hall of Fame. Yeah. Big Nog is in the UFC Hall of Fame. Well, so Big Nog I could go with because he was a UFC champion, I believe, right? Yeah, I guess we can give him that. He, uh, I think he won the, I don't remember if he won the outright title, but he at least got an interim title. So yes, I would say that, but Sakuraba? Yeah, well, I would say if I didn't know Sakuraba was in. I didn't look at the UFC Hall of Fame at all. If Sakuraba is in, then yeah, you have to let Vanderlei in. I yeah, would I, say not only does Vanderlei not belong in, that also Sakuraba should be thrown out. <laughs> I'm sending you over, if you check the chat for this, I'm sending you over the link for it just so you can look at it. There's not a lot of people there, so you can briefly look through it. I like how they have it broken up, though, uh, you know, the different ways to get in. But... um yeah, I was highly shocked when I saw that he wasn't in there under, you know, the pioneer wing, which is where Sakuraba is, you know, to see, you know, him not being there. And like I said, I, there's a few guys that I can understand why they're there, even if they had really short stints in the in the UFC. But, you know, Sakuraba, I think, literally had one UFC fight or something like that. You know what I mean? So... For him, his entire career was pride. So for him to be there in Vanderlei not to make it, it was just weird to me. But yeah, I don't know why he's not there. I don't know if it's, uh, we know how things like that work. I don't know if it's a politics thing, um, you know, especially by him kind of uh, into his career over in Bellator. One of those things that Dana does not seem to like. But, uh, yeah, he was not there and also missing. Um, I didn't see Frank Shamrock. I thought he would have made it. Actually, I thought he was there for some reason. But, yeah, he is not in the UFC Hall of Fame. Shocker. Well, it's it's tough as I'm trying to still have this conversation with you while still just reading. this. Well, first this- of all, the problem is you're reading. Don't read. <laughs> Well, Just I was look at the, the pictures. Well, I was looking at the pictures. I, I'm I'm pretty slow. It, it takes me as long to process a picture as it takes a regular person to read. But I actually don't have the one I'm recording on. I don't mm-hmm. have a second screen on it, so I can't look at that and see you at the same time. I do think 
what I was trying to do is I think I have to avoid this conversation because I think there might be a couple in there in this pioneers wing that I have um, some second thoughts on. But I think for the most part, I'm cool with everybody in there. There's a couple people I think should be added, but I think I'm good with most people in there except Sakuraba. We might have to make a podcast of that, you know, ourselves, uh, just reviewing that Hall of Fame. You know, I might have to call Dana and, you know, just have this whole thing swapped out, you know, make a couple phone calls. The most important person is there, though. As long as Ronda Rousey's there, all is well. You know, if there was no Ronda, then we would have some problems. But Ronda's there, so all is well. (laughs) Yeah, so... So I'm looking. Sakuraba has only had two UFC fights. That sounds about ever. right. Yeah, that sounds about uh, right. Well, it was on the same day. Yeah, so he fought same guy twice on the same day in '97. Yeah, it, well, it was one one win and one no contest. Um, so looking at that, I think. Uh, yeah, he probably shouldn't be in there. If if he's in the pioneers wing. I feel like that really opens up the floodgate because then now you kind of have to make it the MMA Hall of Fame, I would say, because if we're putting in Sakuraba, and, and I'll get off this topic soon because I know this isn't that podcast, but if Sakuraba's in there, then Silva, Vanderlei Silva has to be in there. Fedor has to be in there. We really got to start. So you shouldn't open this can of worms because now Fedor I'm all fired up about an off-topic. Fedor will never make it. I think oh, Dana sure White hates him. All because he didn't sign. I think Dana White loves him because he wanted to sign him, right? And he wanted to see what he would do up against UFC guys. But that not happening made Dana White hate him. So, yeah, I don't ever see I don't ever see uh, him coming into this. But, you know, Vanderlei came over to the UFC he had some really good fights. He didn't have one boring or questionable fight in the UFC, win or loss. I mean, he had some great fights. Those UFC fights, let's see, in, in the UFC, he had, in a row, he had, and this is another one of those things that we talk about, people just fighting a murderer's row. When he came in, first fight was Chuck Liddell, right? Now, this was Chuck after he lost his belt, but this wasn't like a, a just a beat up, washed up Chuck in the sense of, you know, coming off of this, Chuck had the two losses in a row. It was really the big loss to Rampage in which he lost his belt. But he was coming off of like an eight fight win streak or something when he lost to Rampage. And then he and had that Jardine loss was a pretty bad decision. That was a really close fight that most people think he probably won. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. He had that split decision to Keith Jardine, and then it was the Vanderlei fight, right? And so I think both of them were past their prime, but I think it was a pretty, like, a equal past your prime, if you can say that, right? Both of them were, you know, champions coming off of two losses, right, that they put in the And it was a fight that previous to that everybody wanted to see when they were both champions, we didn't know it was past their prime in that moment. It still yep. seemed like they were, this fight still meant something. It wasn't, It's. I would say it's not comparable to the Mayweather-Pacquiao. It's, it's not that bad. 
but it wasn't their prime prime, but it was close-ish. Yeah, well, you know, I'm biased. I don't think the Mayweather-Pacquiao was that bad, and I don't think most people would say it was that bad had Mayweather lost. It was only that bad because Pacquiao lost. <laughs> <laughs> but the um, but yeah, it, for the point of what you're saying, I definitely agree with you. Um, it wasn't, you know, that late per se in their career, and even age-wise, Vanderlei was still relatively young. I think Vanderlei was like 32. 33 during that fight and Chuck was probably closer to like 38, you know? So it wasn't like two, you know, 40 something year olds getting in the cage. But saying that to say in a row, he fought Chuck, Keith Jardine, Rampage, Wrench Franklin, Michael Bisbing, Chris Lieben. I think Chris Lieben out of that was literally the easiest, the easiest, fight, so to speak, and that one was a loss, right? Kung Lee, nah, that one might have been the easiest. And then uh, Wrench Franklin again, Brian Stan, and then that was literally his UFC stint. So, you know, everybody that was named there other than, I would say Chris Lieben and, and Kung Lee was either a champion or a serious contender, right? Uh, um, uh, Chuck Liddell, former champion. Jardine, serious contender. Rampage, former champion. Rich Franklin, former champion. Bisbing, he wasn't a champion at that point, but became a champion, right? I mentioned Chris Lieben and Kung Lee, but then Brian Stan, you know, a uh, 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 good contender. So that was, a, that was a stretch where, you know, it was really like, okay, you're Vendelay Silva. We're throwing you to the wolves. Let's see what you got. You know, so what are your thoughts on that? So I, I agree. And I almost give them more credit because I think the Kung Lee and the Chris Lieben in hindsight are maybe, you know, a little bit more some of the weaker fights. But th those guys are both hard outs. And Chris Lieben is, I don't want to call him a UFC legend because I don't want to throw that term around loosely. But, you know. He he's had a lot of great fights. He's a hard out, and he's got you know a granite chin, hands of stone, and that's a tough fight for anybody. And that was an end of his career necessarily. I mean, he was coming off a win over uh, Sexy Yama and shit. So yeah, you know, it was a good fight. I, Kung I Lee, agree. And, and Kung ahead. Lee could bang. I mean, and that fight was a great fight too. Well, that's the thing. Every single one of them were good fights. Like I said, he wasn't in one bad or boring fight in the UFC. Every one of them were great fights. And yeah, I agree with you on that. The Chris Lieben, Chris Lieben, as you said, he got the chin, but also Chris Lieben is one of those guys. He's he's the American Vanderlei Silva. He's swinging. Some of those punches are coming wild. And it's either you're going to knock him out or he's going to knock you out. And And it's not even that he doesn't realize what he's doing or that he can't do something else. That is his style. That is the way he likes to do it. He likes to go out there and bang that way, just like Vanderlei Silva. I remember I was so excited when that fight was announced. It was one of those, I wish that could have been Vanderlei's first fight in the UFC, but I was so excited because I think they are so similar. Just at everything, really big heads, right? Body type, height, mm -hmm. their styles. Is, they're very, very similar fighters. And Kung Lee, the L reason why he's... A little bit he's... awkward in their stance. Yep, exactly. 
And Kung Lee, one of the reasons why that fight is difficult, Kung Lee is very unorthodox. Mm-hmm. And whenever you have a guy like that, especially a guy that kind of, you know, throws wild and spinning kicks and things of that sort out of nowhere, it's going to be a tough fight for anybody, especially a guy that's kind of more of a brawler, right? So, um, but yeah, I totally agree with you. Every one of those fights were, you know, were good fights. I wish we could have seen... Was like a, Kung Lee was like a 200-pound Edson Barbosa. <laughs> yeah. I wish we could have seen... Um, He's one of those guys I really just wish we could have got into the UFC earlier, but I don't know, and this is what's difficult, I don't know that he would have fared any better because of his style. I think his style was built for Japan and for pride. What are your thoughts on that? I I think I agree because, I mean, one of his big things was the head stomps and the soccer kicks, you know, the ferocity, the aggressiveness. Um. A lot less wrestlers pushing you up against a cage and that kind of thing. That wasn't an option over there. Right. And it's it's kind of a co- crazy question because I, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to try and answer that and I might dip into something else that you're planning to ask some, some other time. Go for it. Go for but it. I think I don't think his career trajectory would have changed much if he came over to the UFC sooner. But I think if... Uh, I think he's a guy that if he had started his career later in the game, like as in if he was in a different era. So, you know, I think if he would have started at a time where he was, you know, down the road and they were taking it, you know, more like professional athletes and maybe instead of doing all day, you know, tournaments and I'll do multiple weight classes and stuff like that. If he would have started a legit career, as like a middleweight and worked his way up and that kind of thing. I think that possibly could have changed it, his career. Um, but then again, some of those fights and those tournaments and the, you know, fighting heavyweights and shit like that is kind of what made him, you know, why we're giving him his roses now. But I just think like in a different era, he might have even been greater than he was because he could have been in a weight class that suited him. And he could have used his more mixed skill set because people, a lot of people don't know he has a legit grappling skill set too that's never been seen. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. And that's one of the things that I didn't point out. So he fought at middleweight, light heavyweight, and heavyweight. And um, what's a little deceptive that, you know, we talk about he fought at Japan middleweight and American middleweight and Japan middleweight is what we call light heavyweight. Their middleweight is 205. And so when he came over to the UFC, he ended up fighting at, you know, light heavy and some middleweight. So he has, um, you know, he's fought the whole spectrum. And, you know, as I mentioned in what we talked about, he fought Mark hunt. I mean, uh, for a brawler like him to fight a guy like Mark Hunt, that's crazy. And Mark Hunt is probably twice his size. Vanderlei is not a big dude. And even when he was like his most fit ripped, it was it wasn't like a, a very like he wasn't a you know neck bigger than your head big dude. He had a lot of you know, he wasn't like he wasn't like a John Fitch lane guy. 
but he's not a big guy at all. Even when he puts on the muscle, he's not a huge dude. So for him he wasn't to go poor. up, and- he was Captain America. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, what you said. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think what you point out is so, so on point. And we even saw he tried to change his style when he came to the UFC. He was more reserved than when he was in Pride. He picked his shots a little bit better. The problem was you can always lure him into a brawl, right? But Mm -hmm. at least what he would do is if he got hurt or something like that, he would kind of back away or give himself time, and then he would try to time again you coming in and throw the punches. But you saw him trying to make changes of different things in his style, but that aggressiveness that he has – and to be willing to do that, you almost can't teach that. So now, to your point, if he doesn't have maybe some of those early fights, even if he's training but not fighting yet, and he slowly gets into some of that later competition, I think he does differ because he was fighting a lot of dudes. He was really young, you know, over in Pride where he was fighting, you know, some of these guys already in their 30s and whatnot. And, you know, he's like a young 22-year-old. I'll tell you what else that I thought was really dope. The UFC really, when they said it was buying up all the fight catalogs, when I went on to Fight Pass, that's usually where I do my research, go back and watch old fights and everything like that. They literally had some of his old IVC, like Valley Tudo type fights. Oh, damn. And it was like, oh, in the, in this weird ring that was grainy and the ring looked like, like <laughs> the ring had a, net around the bottom of it to keep you from falling out of the ring right yeah remember remember when chuck was fighting pele and pele's head got stuck in that net see and this he the was thing. just standing on the other side just punching him and the guy couldn't do nothing because he basically caught like a giant fish stuck in the net so i watched that so long ago you know how it is you watch something and then you forget and mm-hmm. it's like you get updated you watch it you're like this looks especially it's even like when you go back and watch old early UFC fights and you see the little bitty crowd and how terrible the footage looks and everything. You never really remember it, even though you were watching it at that time, right? All of the fights I'm talking about, like not, not these IVC fights, but I'm saying like a lot of early UFC stuff. And when I say that, I'm not talking about Hoist Grace. I'm talking about literally like Zufa era UFC fights, the early ones. When you were watching it, you just didn't realize it was that small and that low budget. And then you go back and watch it, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> this, <laughs> this was, was terrible. terrible. Yeah, this was terrible. Like but, terrible, uh, like little graphics, like yeah, worse yeah. than the graphics that we use for our podcast <laughs> and shit. Horrible. The Just oh, Bleed man. guy? Exactly. <laughs> but... um. But yeah, no, I think I think he's definitely one of those fighters with that aggressiveness and um just the 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 his Muay Thai, the the um the Thai style, he was one of the best with that grip and those knees. Which actually leads me into my next question, which I know you knew was coming, because I always ask it. What was your favorite Vanderlei Silva fight? So to be honest. This was probably the t- this was probably the toughest one ever to have picked, and it's what's crazy is 
I'm not even, I, I obviously, I respect him as a fighter. He's crazy to watch. I'm not a huge Vanderlei Silva fan. Um, but when you try to pick one of his favorite fights, it's just all just such a mass of, like a mess of violence that it's hard to pick one apart from an, another. It just looks like every single one of his fight, it's like the old cartoons where all you yeah. see is like the little ball of dust with Straight the stars. brutality. They're coming out of it. But I narrowed it down to three, and uh, and I didn't even know. I don't even know till now which one I'm going to pick. I named narrowed it down to the three. Give but, us all three. So my actual favorite Vanderlei Silva fight is the Chuck Liddell fight. Um, I am a Can't Chuck Liddell fan. No, uh, and really? Chuck won. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You are a Chuck Liddell fan. I don't think any of us knew that. <laughs> and and that was right when I needed a Chuck win the most, you know, coming off the rampage knockout and then that close loss to Jardine. We really needed that. And uh, it was a great fight. Even if you're not a Chuck Liddell fan, if you're not a Vanderlei Silva fan, if you like fights, if you like MMA, you actually don't even have to like MMA because it's more a fight than it is an MMA match. That yeah. was a great one. But. I always said I don't want to on these Guns and Roses or Fallen Goats for the. I just find it disrespectful to pick my favorite fight as one that they lost. But my honest all-time favorite fight would be Vanderlei Silva. So I do not follow your sentiments on that. But I go gotcha. Ahead. <laughs> but my favorite fight that he won, and I thought this was going to be a bit of a sleeper because I didn't think his name would come up at all. But the Brian Stan fight. Uh, was a yeah. great fight. Brian Stan, at one point, Vanderlei hit him so hard. Brian Stan did one of those knockouts that we were just talking about that DC did against Rumble, where he hit him so hard that like his feet came out from under him and he just fell yep. flat down. I bounced back up. Brian Stan's a stud, but uh, that is crazy when you hit a guy in the face and his feet fly out from underneath him. That is some power. They both basically retired after that fight. Stan <laughs> never came back. And if you look, Vanderlei retired for like four years and then took, finally came yeah, back. Came back, took a couple low yeah. level fights. You know, yeah. or not low level Bellator fights, but yeah, Bellator, that, yeah. That uh, that fight was tough. I remember I watched it live, and that was a crazy fight. I mean, they both dropped each other two or three times apiece. Um, the first round is probably one of the best rounds, or at least most fun fun rounds of MMA of all time. And but this is the reason that I picked it, and it's so funny that you said this because I feel like it kind of set this up a little bit. The reason I wanted to pick it was because you had that first round, which is vintage Vanderlei. You know, and it's just two two crazy animals going at it. But that second round, he realized he was close to losing that fight. And he slowed it down, and he started counterfighting. And he knocked yep. out Stan late in that round. And I think that the reason I'm going with that one is because you get to see vintage Vanderlei, but you also get to see what could have been if he would have maybe, you know, a little bit of that different approach because he had the power and as a counter fire, a little bit more discipline. That's scary. Yeah, I agree. And you said there was three, you gave us two. What was the so third the, one? uh, 
the second rampage, which is a classic. I mean, when you see old knockout footage, it's the one where he knocked him out with knees and then basically dumped him disrespectfully through the the ring ropes. Now, I've come around on Rampage a little bit, but at that time, uh, early on, I wasn't a huge Rampage fan because he had beat Chuck. Because he knocked Chuck out. Yeah. Yeah. So was not a huge <laughs> fan. And uh, so I feel like that's, it's a great fight. Uh, I rewatched it today. And what was good is uh, it was a good fight by Rampage too. He did a little bit what we were talking about is trying to take a little bit of a different approach. He was trying to, you know, grapple him and manhandle him a little bit. I think we've seen after that one, Rampage figured out in that fight how to beat him. The problem is it doesn't work in a ring. It worked a lot better in a cage. Um, yeah. But it's a, I think it's like an MMA classic. Um, not just a Vanderlei. It's one of the fights people talk about if you look at classic MMA fights of all time. And just that knockout. It's an image that if you haven't seen it, when you see it, you might go, oh, yeah, I guess I did actually see that one. Yeah, no, I totally would agree. Um, so I loved all those fights. And Vanderlei is one of those. So with some of the people that we talk about, you know, a lot of the fights I'll um, go back and, like, let's say I may go back and see some snippets or some highlights or whatever else, or I'll watch a certain, just certain fights based on me knowing and remembering and kind of getting a refresher with Vanderlei. I, I damn near watched his whole career over again. I legit prepared for this, watched about 16 Vanderlei Silva fights, right? <laughs> I, I mean, because once again, all of them were just so exciting I watched two of his very early fights and then I skipped ahead to a lot of the pride stuff. And I watched at least half of his UFC fights uh, over again. But um, my favorite fight was rampage one. And that whole card was so big. That whole tournament was huge. Um, That was literally the tournament where rampage had beat Chuck. And Vanderlei had actually had a, 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 a pretty close fight um, with somebody that they didn't even think that, you know, he would have a close fight with. And that was Yoshida, one of the people that I mentioned earlier for a lot of people that don't know him. He was mainly a judo guy. And over in Pride back in the day, you used to be able to wear the gi also. And so he wore a gi in this fight. He gave Vanderlei a pretty tough fight. And so now Vanderlei and Quentin Rampage Jackson had been having words already. So, and they both represented what people felt like pride represented. So everybody wanted to see that clash. And so they go out and first thing Rampage is trying to do is take it to the ground. So he finally gets them on the ground. Rampage doing really good on the ground. And then you know, at some point, the ref ended up standing them up. And once the ref finally stood them up, Rampage just had nothing for Vanderlei at that point. And going back to, you know, what I mentioned, the, the his Muay Thai, the clinch, his knees, you know, he had some of the best knees. And you just saw that 
just straight total brutality, knee after knee after knee. And, you know, it wasn't too much. The first fight and the second fight were not too different from one another, right? But um, you just see it and you're like, how can Rampage even take this amount of knees? And it, this fight ended, though, I forget whether it was a knee or something that ended up dropping Rampage. It was something that dropped him. And then, of course, Vanderlei ran over with the soccer kicks, and it was over. But both of them were in their prime. It was a completely brutal fight. Um, and to me, it was the best representation of Vanderlei being Vanderlei at his highest status as far as what he used to bring to a fight. And something that Vanderlei never brought into the UFC. The reason why I can't give it a UFC fight. It had old school Vanderlei stare down. Rampage stare down. Those are two of the scariest stare, stare offs that you'll ever see in martial arts. Like, you know, it, it's just a, a completely crazy thing. But uh, yeah, that had to be my my favorite, my favorite uh, Vanderlei fight. I just, I mean, it was it was a work of art what he was able to go out there and do against a very good up and coming rampage. And to your point, by the time rampage figured it out, I just don't think that it worked well for, for pride. I think rampage is the complete opposite of Vanderlei. I think had rampage went to the UFC earlier. I think he possibly could have had more success because especially his boxing mix with wrestling would have been a lot better for, the UFC than the ring and pride. Yeah, definitely. It, it would have been a lot more slamming going on because people would have had a much harder time getting away from them. Yep, exactly. Um, and, you know, I think it's crazy that we got this far into this episode without ma- mentioning the Vanderlei stare downs. Because, I mean, that is iconic, what he's he's known for. I'm trying to picture the Rampage Vanderlei one. The problem is both of them have so many that I, as I'm picturing them, I don't know if I'm putting the right two together. Um, yeah. Is he doing the wacky wrist thing in the uh, Rampage? Not down? when they came together. Not when they came together. But, yeah, he, he, um, he just would have this stare down where it's like he's moving. Right. You know, so Rampage just stare down. He doesn't move at all. It's almost like he's not breathing. He's trying mm-hmm. to stare through you. And Vanderlei's is like, you know, it's like he's moving, but he's staring at you. He's got this really evil look, but it's like almost like he has this. Um, it don't look like nervous energy, but, you know, just this energy where it's like almost like you hold it back a pit bull. It's it's you know? kind of like a like a cobra. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. But that was, that was some classic stuff. And I think, I think going back to best nickname, I think that he may have the best nickname and the best stare down. Old vintage Vanderlei stare down. I would put over probably anybody else's stare down, especially when you combine it with the nickname, the X murderer, you know, just imagine like you're on a street, and you know a guy's nickname is the Axe Murderer, and he's looking at you like that for something you did. I'm gonna go ahead and go the other way and walk around the block. I don't even want to go past that guy. <laughs> oh, 
Okay, when they call somebody an axe murderer, they call them the axe murderer. And we've never even seen them with an axe. Exactly. That's, that's <laughs> fucked up. Exactly. So, next thing, I asked this before, and I asked this when we did the Melvin Manhoof episode. And it's one of those things that we need to come up with a new name, especially since we're not going to be using the all violence. We need to come up with a new name. Straight brutality team. I don't know. But of course, we talked about Melvin Manhoof and Vanderlei Silva came up then. But do you think or where do you think that Vanderlei ranks? And I'm not saying you have to give me an exact number, but like, is he top five? Like, where do you put him? Is he top five? Is he number one when it comes to that kill or be killed, just straight brutality style of going out there and one of us isn't walking out this ring conscious? Right. So we're we're using, uh, so like all violence is like a placeholder till we come up with the actual name, but we to get the yes. understanding of what you're talking about. So it might be the wrong time to ask me that because I just watched them face stomping and punching the shit out of people for the last three days. Yes. Um, <laughs> but he's no matter what, inarguably he's towards the top of that list and possibly number one with a bullet. Cause all the, some of these other guys I'm thinking of, you know, like rumble Johnson, Right. He's a guy that we put on there, but that's a different type of violence. That's like a crazy power, you know? Right. But when you look at like nobody matches, nobody matches like the ferocity, the aggressiveness, the, I, I mean, I li- he honestly fights the way you're not supposed to, um, you're not supposed to fight with mm-hmm. that emotion. You're not supposed to fight with that little technique. You're not supposed to fight. You, you know what I mean? Without, any strategy like it's not supposed to work and uh but it's just pure it's so devastating that it works despite that because even though you know like oh we could be disciplined and stay away that's easy to say until the axe murderer is coming at you and and one thing you got to look at is so i was looking at a lot of fights he's got a lot probably more than anybody wars he has a lot of pretty long fights that like a lot of them so some of these prides like when you look at the second quentin jackson fight when you see round two in those old pride fights the first round was 10 minutes yeah a lot of people don't know that yeah first round is 10 minutes and back then it was i think it was first round 10 minutes second round three minutes or something like that it was like a really big first round so yeah. if you made it to the second round, that was equivalent to like two rounds, you know, in the UFC. Yeah, but he had a lot of long ass violent fights. Yeah, no, I definitely would agree with that. And in general, because of his style, that's going to put you in a lot of wars, you know, especially early on in Pride. Definitely. You know, it wasn't a situation where... um like how we talked about once he got to the UFC, started countering a little bit more, started waiting, doing different things like that. No, back in Pride, it was move forward, throw as hard a punches as you can, and take one to give one. And if I drop you, going back to what you were talking about, just the 
the ferociousness that he had. If you fall on the ground, I'm hitting you with knees, stumps, kicks, anything to make sure that you don't get back up. I'm not jumping on the ground. I'm hitting you with everything that I can while I'm standing up from the lower half of my body to put you unconscious. And you just don't have, you know, many people that had that type of ferociousness, even in pride where it was allowed. It wasn't too many people that really took it there. You know, that brings me to my next question. And this is actually probably the final question I have. And it's kind of a combo question, if you will. So if we rewind back 10 years and we can either make it right before or right after the Brian Stan fight. So we go back to about 2013. He was past his prime, we know, but at that point in time, before he came back four years later in Bellator, is there something else at that point that you would have liked to see him do at that point? Is there a farewell fight that you would have liked? Would you have loved if bare knuckle was around to see him in one bare knuckle fight? Is there a grappling match that you would have liked to see him do? Is there something at that point in time? Because I think that was the last that we got where there was any bit of that old Vanderlei back. By the time he retired and came back to pride, there was absolutely nothing left in my opinion. Um, so, 2000, we'll even say 2012, 2013, that, that realm. Is there anything else you would have liked for him to do at that point in time? So you, you kind of tricked me with how you position this one, because normally it's like who he'd still want to fight. And then I'm looking, so he's, uh, Vanderlei has been pretty open that he's having uh CTE symptoms and he's mm -hmm. already said he wants to donate his brain to science after, yeah. uh, after he dies mm -hmm. and and it makes sense and to be honest i'm surprised he doesn't have more ct like with the, yeah. you know his career and with his, his style and the wars that we talked about he been in so many wars so i i was trying to figure out something how to answer that question moving it back a little bit might help although i do think he should have just retired after the brian stan fight like you get your win, retire on a high note, call it a career. But if we're looking at the thing that is kind of missing that I would have liked to have seen. And honestly, I have a way we could still do this today, kind of. But I think it was. It's an interesting fight, but it never was able to happen because they were just when the careers were over, they're similar looking careers and their careers overlapped but they just never seem to be at the same position at the same time where either one's coming up and one's going, you know what I mean? But I think uh, Vanderlei Silva versus Machida is something I think I would have liked to see. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. And the only reason why I say that, I think Machida's style just never would allow Vanderlei to get in. Like, he did very, very well against brawlers. Um, even if you remember, um, what's the name? He had to change his style when he fought him to finally beat him and take the belt, um, Shogun. Mm -hmm. Shogun was a little bit more forceful in their first fight. And then, if you remember, he changed his style when he came back. 
was a little bit more slick, a little bit more angles and everything, didn't just jump in. And it's because that karate style, if you're a guy that jumps in, especially if you throw looping punches, that karate style is going to come down the middle and just meet you before your punch ever. And I think that would be a long night for for Vanderlei. It would be interesting. I'd love to see a chess match, but I just don't so know think, that it would be that competitive. I think the difference is, I think, uh, I think Vanderlei Silva, when he explodes, is faster and can close the different the distance faster than Machida does, or than uh, than Hua did. So I think when he's able to put together those explosions, um, I think he could cover the distance and you know run them down at some point, and not force them into a brawl, but I mean at some point when he starts beating on you, you, you have to fight back. But I also looked at it. They're both the same age. I originally was thinking I would like to have seen that those two could do a grappling match today. Cause I know you always like to promote like the, uh, the jujitsu tournaments yeah. and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. this is what, I, this is how I originally landed on Leota Machida because what I was thinking is the reason I want to see a grappling match is for one CTE. So I don't want to see anybody hitting the head. But they're about the same age, 44 and 46. But they're also both jujitsu black belts with known as strikers. One with a karate background, one with a, a you know a Muay Thai background. But we throw both out the window and uh, see what your secondary tool is like. You know, who's, uh, who's jujitsu is better out of those two? No, I would, yeah, I would love to see it. I like it. Um, I was going to say, now this didn't exist back then, kind of like the bare knuckle, um, but him and Shell ended up fighting in Bellator. And we're talking about before that, and I didn't like that fight. Or I didn't like the fight, going back to what you said. I would have rather him retired after the Brian Stan fight. I didn't like the fact that he even came back. But what I would have loved to see, so they finally got me. Damn Eddie Bravo. Combat jiu-jitsu is fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Combat jiu-jitsu is great. Now, unfortunately, you can still get hit in the head. Mm-hmm. But with the but, rules you know, of combat jiu-jitsu, it's more there's manageable. no hitting standing up, and it's only palm strikes. Right? Other than that, it's a jiu-jitsu tournament. Other than that, it's a no-gi jiu-jitsu tournament. I would have loved to see him versus Chell Sonnen grudge match combat jiu-jitsu. Especially with Chell being a high-level wrestler that he is. But to your point, with Vanderlei's, um, you know, BJJ and whatnot, and the person on top being able to deliver a couple palm strikes, which I think is needed for a lot of these BJ Jared tournaments because some of this stuff just gets so out of hand with what dudes do. And I think it takes away from the practicality of BJJ as a self-defense. I think we're getting so far away from it. And um, it's funny, somebody talked, I want to say it was um, Sam Alvey 
talked about this on his on his his TikTok, and he put up a video from somebody, and the dude was like. At what point in time is this new sports jujitsu? It's getting so far away from BJJ. At what point in time are we just going to label it a completely different sport? Mm-hmm. And the further it gets into this sport style, the further you get away from, once again, the self-defense aspect because you leave yourself so open. It's like back in the day, one of the reasons why a lot of the leg lock stuff was frowned upon wasn't simply because leg locks were not effective, but because when there are strikes and stuff involved, it was a lot higher risk. And it was right, a risk to Right, because when you drop back for ratio. that leg, I can just start dropping shots on your head. Correct. Especially when you tie up both of your arms down by your waist trying to get this leg, I can turn and punch you in the face, right? right. So... What combat jujitsu does, that's their remedy to some of this is, hey, I can hit you, you know, with this palm. And some dudes have been knocked out with palm strikes in combat jujitsu. So oh, it yeah, gives you, you that other thing. Shit out, shit out of somebody. Exactly. So it gives you that other scenario to think of to not leave yourself open during these grappling exchanges so that you don't get, but yeah, Chael Sonnen. Vanderlei Silva, combat jiu-jitsu. I would have loved to see it. And I like that. But since you brought it up, not me, I do have a bare-knuckle option that has no, done, some bare, has, has done some bare-knuckle <laughs> and was still fighting in 2013. Phil Barone. A rematch with him and Crazy Horse. Because you know they had the backroom brawl, right? Oh, shit. I didn't even think about that. I don't even want to see that one in bare knuckle. I want okay, to see that okay, one in the alley. Go ahead. Um, uh, Phil Baroni. I don't know if you saw the very sad news. I haven't seen the update. But Phil Baroni was just in the news, supposedly, for... I don't know what we can put out there on the... You know, with this going on different channels, but offing his girlfriend in Mexico. Oh, no. Yeah, I didn't see that at all. Yeah. It was just in the news like two a day or two ago. Crazy situation. Wow. Somebody might have posted. I think somebody might have posted in a fight group, but I think I originally saw it on like one of the MMA channels. So, yeah. But Wait. I absolutely would have. Phil Baroni would be... Phil Baroni would have even been just a good general farewell MMA match, I think, for him. Uh, right, somebody at his level, you know, yep. like that's that's gonna brawl with him, make an entertaining fight. And yeah, he he was still fighting MMA at that time, and he did do some bare knuckle. Because the other option at first I was thinking was Chris Lieben, but then I was like, well, Chris Lieben already knocked him out actually with gloves. I don't want to see it without yeah. gloves too. Yeah. No, I would agree. I would agree. Um, that's pretty much all the questions I had. Anything else you wanted to throw out there before I ran down some of the accolades again? No, I'm just glad you came up with this one kind of uh, out of the blue, and it made sense. And like I said, as a Evanderlei Silva, not a big of a fan, I think an actual revisit out of context uh kind of changed that a little bit you know i I think i always knew what a good fighter he was but it was uh 
you know, it was really fun to go back and rewatch some old Vanderlei Silva fights. So I, I would say Vanderlei Silva is the guy and, and it's, he's not fighting no more, so you can't do it. But if you have a friend that isn't an MMA, that isn't into MMA and you want to show him a fight, Vanderlei Silva would be the fighter to put in front of them. I agree a hundred percent. Yep. I totally agree. So once again, this was for Vanderlei, the ex murderer Silva, um, record 35 and 14 with 27 knockouts, five times fight a night bonus in the UFC, two time knockout of the night bonus in the UFC, knockout of the decade 2004 against Rampage, lightweight, light heavyweight of the year 2004 and MMA fighting and sure dog 2013 best fighter best fight half of the year versus uh Brian Stan pride he pretty much owned you know just about every record in pride uh middleweight champion multiple defenses grand prix champion middleweight he even actually I didn't even throw this in you know but he fought at in that open weight tournament he ended up fighting you know, some heavyweights in that Grand Prix over in Pride. You know, successful title defenses, he has the record. Most finishes, he's tied. Consecutive wins, he has the record. Most wins, he has the record. He pretty much just owned every record over in Pride. And if you want to go see some of those really, really good um classic Pride fights, uh somebody we didn't even talk about, he was mentioned when I talked about notable fights, but go watch those Vanderlei Dan Henderson fights. They were good. Those Vanderlei Crow Cup fights. Those were good. Those Vanderlei Ricardo Arona fights. Those were good all over in pride. If you want to see some great fights and a lot of violence. But other than that, that pretty much wraps everything up for us. Anything else, Lock? No, that's it, man. Uh, good episode. I'm digging the digging the guns and I always want to say guns and roses, gloves and roses. Series. <laughs> I dig it so much I can't even say the name right. That's right, man. Don't get us sued. We have nothing at all to do with guns hey, and roses. Hey, we see Metallica's litigious as fuck. I would imagine guns and roses might be. We want no problems. <laughs> hey, all who, right. who would ever thought in the '80s we'd say the words Metallica is litigious as fuck? <laughs> That's how it works. One minute you're against the establishment, next minute you're the establishment. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Come again. That wraps up another great Fat Boy MMA podcast. If you have a topic for us, please email us at topic at fatboymma.com or reach out to us on social media by going to links.fatboymma.com. Thank you for listening.